Hey there, it's Bailey Hancock, career happiness strategist, creator of The One Year Career, and your host of The Bailey Hancock Show, a podcast that helps people figure out how to make big career moves with small steps. Navigating your career doesn't have to suck. I'm here to help you learn to love the process. Hey guys, Bailey Hancock here. Welcome back to the show. We have somebody on today that has one of the most fascinating jobs that I've never heard of until her, (laughs) (laughs) which I think is always cool because this just goes to show you there are so many roles out there that we have no freaking clue even exist. Um, And so anytime you're feeling really boxed in by like the 10 job roles that we grew up knowing about, we'll be able to hear from somebody today that has kind of carved a really cool path for herself and something that obviously does exist, but was just unbeknownst to me. So today we have on Samara Bay. She is a dialect and communication coach. And since I had no idea what that was, I'm going to read you her actual bio. So she's a dialect coach for actors in television and film. And she recently coached American Crime Story, Versace, Avengers Affinity War, and Patty Jenkins, AKA freaking Wonder Woman directors, upcoming TNT miniseries. So she basically teaches people how to talk, but that's so such a basic <laughs> explanation of what she does. So I'm really excited for Samara to tell us all about how the hell she ended up here. We'll get into our backstory and how we know each other and just kind of go from there. So Samara, welcome to the party. Why, thank you. Hello. Hi. It's a party. I mean, it's like a quiet party, but like, you know. It's an intimate party. Intimate. Two. Intimate, that's the way to say it. Intimate, yeah. highly engaged party. Those are buzzwords. <laughs> Is this a networking party? Because <laughs> I excel at those. I call it curating your community, so... There you go. I love this. I'm thrilled yeah. to be here. Truly, I'm thrilled to be here. So Hi, happy to have you. Okay, so you're a dialect coach, which I want you to explain all about what that means, but start us kind of closer to the beginning. What did little Samara want to be when she grew up? So when I was like 10, um, my parents were big on going to the theater in my hometown, and there was a beautiful theater company that was like an outdoor Shakespeare festival in the summers. So of course, they were like, well, we have a 10-year-old, but also it's outdoors and pretty. So maybe she'll be into the Shakespeare. And, you know, I was a huge dork and I loved it. And I remember deciding at age 10, that's what I want to do. And I didn't really know what that meant. I mean, I think even then I didn't know what I meant. I, I, think, I, I think that I thought that I wanted to act, mm. right? And a lot, of, a lot of us have had those moments when we're doing like school plays or whatever, when we're like, this is the plan and no oh, one will tell sure. me otherwise. Oh, it was and eighth grade like, playing Anne Frank for me. I was like, this is the path. <laughs> Yes. Um, so, and in my case, I was like specifically Shakespeare, uh, and I really, in a weird way, did everything humanly possible to pursue that career to be a, like a regional Shakespeare actress who would do those sort of outdoor things. Really, I kid you not, from age 10 to age like 29. Whoa. I mean, I ended up getting, uh, I got an English degree from Princeton. So that was a slightly sideways, but on the other hand, like I I got in and I was like, okay, well, you can't really turn that down. So I I didn't, but I, but I was able to like finagle it into being English with an emphasis in dramatic literature. So I read plays to get my degree and then I did a huge amount of school shows during college there was not a lot of like uh uh, institutional theater and so what you get at those kinds of schools is like you learn how to kind of produce your own stuff and I was like Mm -hmm. okay well that'll be the thing I do but I was you know doing as much theater as I can and like eating it up and then I thought well what those amazing actors who have um equity cards which is like being a member of SAG for theater Mm -hmm. what they all 
do mostly is get an MFA in acting. And that's, you know, a, a three-year conservatory master's degree. And I was like, okay, well, if that's what they do, that's what I will do. And I, like, I mean, I was so regimented um, about something that really, you know, of course, ended up not being a straight line at all. And, uh, Never is. And I, uh, right? And I got my MFA and I was 26 and I moved back to New York and I really tried to make it happen. And I got really close, like, you know, I, I had some great auditions for Shakespeare in the Park. I mean, like, truly, like, the thing that 10-year-old me thought yeah. was difficult. But ultimately, it just really didn't work. Like, I, I, I missed out on a lot of jobs, or I would do the workshops, and then they'd rehire somebody fancier or more famous, I mean, to play, you know, the actual, the actual production. And enough years of that, as I was getting into my mid-late 20s, I began thinking, like, not I'm a failure, which took a little while to get through, right? But more like I'm not like approaching life on all cylinders. Like mm. like Samara is not actually getting to be shared with the world. I'm not really getting to like flourish right? by trying to just, you know, uh, fit myself into these different boxes that seem to be what it takes to be a working actor. And what were you doing like to survive during that time? I did a lot of random stuff. I mean, from like the super random, like, I mean, I guess it's not random. It's completely obvious. Like being a front desk receptionist and being a cocktail waitress. Uh, but the front desk receptionist was for a reflexology salon, which is why oh. I was thinking random. Because you're like, you, I, it's like this little tiny hole in the wall in the West Village. And reflexology is like glorified foot massage. It was amazing. I got <laughs> a lot of free foot massages out of it. But it was like, yes, I'm a speech person. And I'm in this like silent little meditative room going like, I hear voices but oh, I got man. a lot of like hustling work done while on those. I'm people. sure. Um, and and uh, and then the reality is that starting from when I was 19 onward, there's a different narrative that is that also was happening at the same time, but that I was sort of pretending wasn't. Mm -hmm. Which was that I the very ninth when I was 19, the summer between my freshman and sophomore year of college, I did a summer in New York, in, sorry, in San Francisco at uh, ACT that does this really cool like conservatory program for people who aren't yet in a master's level, you know, but who want to sort of try out conservatory in the acting world means like you do some yoga classes and you do some speech therapy and you do some combat and you do, some, you know, you that do all great. this stuff <laughs> and, and also like acting, you know, and right. you learn through that in a way what your strengths are. And some people even came out of that, you know, at 19, none of us are thinking about our fallback. We shouldn't probably be thinking about our fallback. Uh, but maybe we realize like stage combat's actually something I'm awesome at. And for me, and undeniably the speech class where we actually learn this thing called the International Phonetic Alphabet, which is all these little symbols that uh, correspond to the different sounds. So if we see in, in, in American English, the letter A written in a word we don't know, it could be like five different things because right. English is crazy and it's not Spanish and it doesn't. Your you know, name is a no. fantastic example of that. For example, Samara, right? Could be Samara. I've heard that. Could be Samara, right? These are all completely like standard ways that the A and an R can like hang out with each other. Yeah. I get Bailey uh, or Bailey or yeah. So it's like, oh, okay. I'm sure we all, right. We, everybody yeah. has, because this is the thing. And if it's Spanish, you know, those are extremely like, you know, there's an extremely clear pattern and the rules right. don't break. And for us, the rules, the only rule that, you know, stays the same is that the rule breaks. Anyway, so the speech class was super cool because suddenly it felt like there was a secret code for decoding how language works. And I 
was the only person, the only actor in that class who felt that way. <laughs> clearly, this is one of those moments where you're like, this is a passion I didn't know I had. Yeah. And it's clearly not like universally shared. Oh, that's such a good Everyone, thing to stumble upon. It's like, wait, everybody doesn't think this is cool as hell? Okay. Right? And I was like, I mean, I still am the total yeah. geek. And like, fortunately, partly what I get to do is like turn all of my actors into little dialect geeks with me and like you know you're not like everybody likes to talk about this stuff everyone likes to talk about like my dad has this weird accent or you know people have always said this weird thing about me right but for me to actually get to the point where I realize like there's kind of a science behind it and that wow. I can learn that science but bring it to the arts that took many years but when I was 19 was this the seed was planted and that teacher I kid you not that teacher said to me you should consider going into being a speech coach and I was like thanks I know what I'm doing <laughs> I'm doing Shakespeare in the park, go to hell. It's like, not quite 20 years later, but kind of. And I'm like, I just want to say, you were right. I'm, I'm really but, sorry. So, you know, because of that, like even, I didn't take any linguistics classes in college. That would have been really clever if I'd, if I'd taken that one's advice and known I was going to head down this way. Like linguistics is kind of the academic version of what I do in a more practical way. But I, I, I like listen to linguistics podcasts and like try to fill in the fact that I did never got that training, you know? Um, but, uh, it really took me through grad school. I, I did the three year program. I had a really cool voice and speech teacher in that program. And again, same thing. I was like, Ur. uh, I did a summer thing between college and grad school with this woman named Kate Wilson, who runs the Juilliard speech program. And I was like, okay, so not only Am I learning from the best? But I'm like accumulating the best mentors in the world for this. Yeah. But I'm good. I'm going to be an actor. <laughs> it took me so long. Don't you just want to shake 20-something-year-old you? There's so many times where I'm like, if I could just go back, walk up to her slapper, and then get back in my time machine, I would. But I will say two amazing things came out of the fact that it took me so long. One is that I got all that acting training, and that makes me a better coach to actors. Because I am more and more coaching professionals in other fields, from business to tech to science to politics. But when you do acting training, it's not just that you learn how actors are. It's that you learn how humans are. And it's so good psychologically. I don't think I would, I think I'm, I'm probably a much better coach than someone who just comes up from linguistics and just understands the sounds, but doesn't really understand, like, what does it do to you to do yeah. sounds that don't sound like the you that you know? Hmm. Because most of my work is actually that. It's here are the sounds, and now let's deal with like what. Who okay, so that does something. Let's go there. Wow. I mean, there's like there's therapy involved, right? And like it's a so three dimensional. The other thing that it did for me to take that long is that it made me, I think, have a lot of empathy for you know what your listeners are dealing with. I mean, I like so deeply understand the path of I don't know what I'm doing. It's not working why is why am I not being taken seriously why am I you know or like just I don't know what my next step is I don't even know where I'm going but I also don't know what my next step is what do I do today so yeah. you know I, I it's good to you know it's good to have gone through the, that, the crappy years <laughs> yeah, I, right. I mean perspective is everything and I think when you don't go through those years of struggle you do not appreciate like the moments you're having right now where things are flowing and things are coming to you and you're getting all these amazing opportunities that are well-deserved. But if they're just handed to you, you're like, yeah, cool. This is just life. Life is cool. Life is great. I love life. It's so easy. Instead, you're like, damn, I'm appreciative as hell. Gratitude is awesome. 
this could go away yep. in a minute, you know. All you the things, that. all the things. <sighs> and then as a freelancer, by the way, you still worry, like, it could go away in a minute. But I'm getting to the point, I had a really interesting conversation. I just wrapped up uh, a four-month television job, and I just had a conversation at the little sort of ad hoc rap party where we were all just, like, drinking random you know, my ties, because we were in Hawaii. Anyway, that happened. Uh, also and, uh, that. <laughs> <laughs> and I was talking to one of my friends I made on set about um, a, the idea of being early career versus mid-career versus late career, right? Uh, we all know where none of us are, you know, late career. But, uh, but the difference from early to mid is like, I mean, on the one hand, it's like a completely theoretical thing. Why even think about it? But on the other hand, like if we want to kind of like get into the media philosophy of how we live each day as a freelancer Hmm. I kind of think it's playing it a little safe for me at this point to call myself early I think I'm actually mid it's just that it it happened relatively quickly to get from early to mid and like and that mid doesn't mean you're safe and that there's an easy plateau it never does no it's just a whole new host of insecurities and fears and challenges and frankly to assume you know where you are in the race is, is kind of a fool's errand because, Lord, some of us, if we live to be 90, I don't know. I, I kind of think millennials and beyond will probably work forever. <laughs> and I don't even see that as a negative because think about it. Generations before us, they worked, they put their heads down, they clocked in, they clocked out, they did a job that was just a job. They didn't have this never-ending quest for passion and purpose and fulfillment like we do. So for them, their finish line was ever present. It was like retirement, just get me to retirement. Completely. For us, you know, I think a lot that. about, I completely, the, the Venn diagram, the three circles mm-hmm. where you have the getting something you get paid for, something the world needs, or maybe those are the same thing, something the world needs, something you're passionate about and something you get paid for. Okay. So they are right. three different ones. Yeah. But like, and I found it and I didn't, I don't think acting was it only because the world didn't need another one. You know, I mean, do they need me? Like, do they need all of us individually? Of course. Well, and but, to be fair, that doesn't mean you can't still act. Right. I think that's sure. the thing people forget, like, especially with creative pursuits and with following your passion, people think, well, if I can't get paid for it, I just can't be it. And it's like, well, of course you can incorporate yeah, that into your life. Totally. And totally. Still do it. Well, and also, like, another perspective on that that I've been thinking about a bit is that, like, the way that acting is going to work for me or for, you know, maybe some of your listeners is, like, not in the obvious traditional way, which, by the way, the traditional way is set up in a rather patriarchal society, and we all are seeing it sort of crumbling down in certain ways and not in others, and it's like a, you know, it's a thing we're in the middle of, yep. but uh, the way it's going to happen is that all, what is the phrase, all, all... Rising tides, something rising tides, yes, lifts all boats. Here's what I'm really trying to say. My friends are starting to be power players in Hollywood. You know, you wait long enough, and it's not even that you have to like try to network with the people who are a generation above you. That obviously is also extremely valuable in terms of mentors, but in terms of your peers, you know, we're gonna make stuff together. That's how it's gonna work. I talk about like looking around you more often than looking ahead of you as it relates to collaborating in your career because the people that are coming up with you, they've got your back, especially if you've built a good relationship and nurtured that relationship through the years. You look around and suddenly you're like, 
holy shit, my friend's a VP of a department? <laughs> what? <laughs> that guy? Are you kidding me? I like held his leg for a keg stand. How, who gave him a department to run? And suddenly- And especially, it's, so that's a great example too, because a lot of our friends who do end up in business, but maybe have like a creative spirit that isn't getting fulfilled in that business, that's what they want to do on their weekends or with their, you know, free time to make something together to, you know, present it to either to their business directly or to fulfill their, themselves emotionally so that they can just be better at what they do. Exactly. I think the multi-passionate thing is a beautiful rise that's happening in our society and millennials are definitely shepherding that in. But, you know, to your point, like you can create with people, you can create something without asking for permission. You might not get paid for it today. Maybe you never will, but you still have the freedom to do the thing that brings you happiness and joy, even if it isn't the thing that also pays your rent. It's totally allowed. I give you permission right now. If you're like, oh, yeah. I want to do that. I want to be a writer, but I didn't go to school for it. And I'm doing this. It's like, fuck you go right right now, right now you can do it. You I mean, it. I think some of the hardest part of that, and I know you've been, you've been soliciting, you know, uh, 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 responses about what is getting in the way of people doing that sort of thing. And, you know, some of it is these big philosophical things like fear and some of it really is like finances. Like how do I, where do, how do I invest? How do I invest some money? And either it's that you literally don't have access to money right now, which is uh, completely understandable, or it's how do I convince myself that I'm worth investing in? Oh man, the fear thing is insane. When I sent that email out to my list, I was not expecting the responses I got. Literally some made me cry that were like, I'm not worth it. I don't, I'm not good enough. I feel like the moment I try, I'm going to fail. And then to your point about the money, that was the third most common thing people said was I just, I have sure. bills to pay and I have mouths to feed. I can't just go follow my passion, which truthfully I am very anti follow your passion because usually it doesn't work out the way we want, but I'm not <laughs> anti shutting your passion down. Right. I'm, yeah. very, I'm like, listen, if your passion well, is monetizable, go for it, but be realistic. Because you do have mouths to feed, including your own. <laughs> I also think that I'm like an interesting example. I mean, in certain ways, what I my particular path is not applicable to some of your listeners because like dialect coaching is such an extremely niche thing. I mean, there's literally 20 of us who are doing this. Like, wow. I was wondering. <laughs> we have an agent. She's amazing. One but there's and then my numbers might be my numbers might be a little bit off on the 20. That's sort of just the ones I know of. But really, at any given time, that's sort of the amount of shows and movies that need a dialect coach and the amount of us that, they're hap that happen to exist. So like, oh, but, yeah. you know, there are other things about what I do that are super applicable. And, uh, and I don't remember now where you were going with that last comment that I was going to say something Following really your passion. clever about. Oh, yeah. That, like, when I was 10 and saw on the stage the thing that I thought was my passion, you know, it turns out 10-year-old me didn't know everything. That's and, so weird. <laughs> and that my actual journey between then and now, in a way, was distilling better what it is that I loved about that. Because mm -hmm. I love so much right now being able to help actors go through that phase from like, these sounds feel weird, to oh my God, I'm acting better, not worse with the dialect, mm. right? And part of that is, is, is also like, I do a lot of text work. Like if my clients don't want it, they just want like, here's how to do a Boston accent, what are the sound changes? I, I'm happy to like, you know, revert into that mode. But my, like, I don't know what the word is, but like sort of my, my, my milieu, my like best way of being is integrating talking about sounds with talking about like what's going on in the text. 
because I don't actually think that we can do them separately. Like literally somebody will say, uh, if they're doing like a New Jersey accent, does this word what, where their character just says what, does it have a T at the end or not? So we haven't thought, you might not have thought about this, but really like when we all say the word what, we probably don't actually release the T sound. We just go what? We stop the air, but we don't release the sound. I'm not going to get all crazy technical. Don't. No, but, but that's a set. That's super one set. fascinating. Okay. Right? So go so on. We all do that. We all have both options at our disposal. And by we all, I mean Americans for the most part, right? right. Uh, British people handle it differently. English is a second language, gets more complicated. But that's the, you know, native born will we'll hold in that T sound, we'll stop the air, but we won't release it. What? If we're just saying it like cash, right? But then what if like the stakes are higher? What if? What if you've said it 80 times and somebody's not listening to you? What? Um, All of a sudden we hear a t sound at the end, so the right? So if somebody's- matter. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So that's if someone right. says like, do you release the T or not? I'm like, depends, what do you want? What's going on? Right, what's happening around the word? Right, and like, I can just give you like a, well, the options are yes and no. Or we can just dive into like, what's happening with your character in that moment? And because I'm so happy to sort of fluidly do that, you know, most actors like that because- mm-hmm then I'm, I'm sort of acting coaching too. And an acting coach doesn't actually teach people how to act for the most part. They're ha- just helping with like um, script analysis. Hmm. Like what is, what is, especially if you have a complicated text, if you're working with an Aaron, if you're working with an Aaron Sorkin uh, type, of, type of material, either for like scene study or because you're actually doing the project like that, uh, some of that language is so complicated, it ends up being kind of like Shakespeare. That's I mean, true. God, watching the West Wing, I'm like, these people should get double the pay because they're saying double the amount of words. In the- <laughs> <laughs> and the deal with Shakespeare, like, yes, we can talk about the fact that, that a lot of the words are old tiny and we don't use them anymore. But the other thing that's complicated about Shakespeare and why people need like additional training to do Shakespeare is because when you have long, complicated thoughts, you need to technically know kind of what's happening with pitch, like how you build long thoughts. And like, Voila, that's all of the language that we like to watch in those complicated television shows and movies. You know, it's not just Aaron Sorkin. It's like, I mean, you know, a lot of the stuff I was just working on with this, the Patty Jenkins show. As soon as you even have something like, um, I was going to go to the Grove today, but I decided to go tomorrow. Today versus tomorrow. This is called an antithesis. Mm -hmm. You're like holding two thoughts in opposition. And in real life, we're going to do something different to those two thoughts because we know that that's what we have to communicate. We were going to do this, but it turns out we're going to end up doing that. And so maybe pitch will go up a little bit or the tone of it, the quality will change a little bit or something. And when an actor is looking at a text and they haven't completely like personalized it yet and made it their own, they kind of don't do some of those things. And so I come along to sort of artificially inject in like, mm-hmm. let's remember how we would do this if we were like using our own instincts and having our own thoughts. Even right. a written thing, Which ends up being valuable for people in other fields too if you're talking about presenting a speech or something because even if we've written it we're disconnected from that moment of the writing it and so we get a little flat and I will say because this ends up being valuable for people in other fields too like when we're in uncomfortable situations we stop using pitch it's just like a human nature thing we start if we have this much kind of up and downy in our regular voices and I don't mean going like crazy up and crazy you know just like saying like this happened and then I can't believe what happened you know in an uncomfortable situation, we'll use less and less and less. And so everything will start to feel a little bit monotone. Mm. Women tend to go up, men tend to go down. I mean, obviously this is just like standard. It's not for any individual, but you know, girls go to nice, guys go to cool. So guys will do the, yeah, no, anyway, so uh, everything's good here. And girls, of course, we all know our Starbucks voice. Um, yeah, anyways, I was just wondering if it'd be possible 
you know? <laughs> and so part of what I do with people who aren't even actors is just like, how do we rediscover our internal instincts when the language isn't happening, you know, completely spontaneously? How, how did you end up here? Like, I mean, I realized like you, you know, we stopped at 26 and this is so fascinating. <laughs> and I feel like you're so in the groove with this. Like, this is so perfect for you. And yes, of course, there were little flags along the way of the dialect stuff, but, and then tying it into the acting, I think being able to bring those two worlds together into a, an actual business for yourself is fantastic. So how did you end up after 26 to, to being in Hawaii for four months, like working on a TV show with actors, helping them speak? Like, what happened? <laughs> I think I got better the more I did it. You know, I started dialect coaching. Maybe you your first like job. So I, so because I had picked up mentors along the way and stayed in touch with them. Smart. Thank you for saying that. Is everybody uh, listening? Mm -hmm. I mean, truly, I'm like a really good follower upper. And when I was doing the acting thing, part of what sucked about it is that the hustle that I'm good at, I think is a hustle that would be good in the business world. I mean, listen, no hustle is easy. You know, like following up does not mean that someone's going to get you a job. Like, wouldn't it be lovely? I, I, I've thought so many times, like if, if the world was purely merit-based, like, oh gosh, without oh, being we'd, delightful. We'd be running shit, man. <laughs> Which we kind of are, but like not, you know, the level that we should be. Anyway, yeah. right. uh, but, you know, uh, but when it came to the dialect coaching, in a way that, that hustle did work better than it did for acting. You know, you can't really send follow-up emails and get cast. Sure. But you can send follow-up emails and get coffees. And from coffees, I would, I would get you know what I really got was that two of those mentors who both still coach a lot in New York, uh, when I was living in New York would throw me the clients that they didn't have time for, mm. which probably now that I'm in that position and I'm doing that to mentees mostly meant the people who you could tell are really green. And I'm just, uh, if they, if their price point is lower, if they really are starting out, they can handle a dialect coach who is newer mm. and they're going to be each other's peers and they're right. going to work it out together, you know? And I was that for a lot of New York actors and some of them I have gone on and are now on TV shows and either we're still in touch and we're like, yes, or I see them from afar and I'm like, this is the thing. This is the thing. Like it all starts to happen. And for me personally, uh, I think some of the answer to your question is that some of those people, especially out here, um, I was with when they were, co when they were auditioning and not booking and auditioning and not booking and then all of a sudden auditioning and booking. And saying you, to me, are you, do you stay with a lot of your clients from show to show, movie to movie? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I got American Crime Story Versace, which is one of my like most sort of high profile things I've ever done because Edgar Ramirez, who plays Versace, required me. No big deal. I guess. I mean, you know, but like, but, but that's only because. I had done six other projects, literally six other projects with him, where I, some of those, I, were, I was not on set. So the dialect coaching, like not that anyone would know this because it's so obscure, right? But dialect coaching takes one of two forms in the, the classic sense. Then I coach all these other people from other industries. Either I coach people one-on-one -on -one and set for long hours where I use these amazing earbuds. They're literally like my only piece of equipment. It's like have earbuds will travel. Um, and those are extremely different from each other, you know, but I started out doing a huge amount more one-on-one -on -one, prepping people for projects. So prior to them even getting on set. For sure. So I either it'd be, yeah, either it's like the night before over Skype, if they're in some 
sexy location that no one hired a dialect coach to actually like fly out to said location. Did a lot of that. A lot of like, how's Thailand? It looks beautiful. Um, or, um, or I, as a lower totem pole dialect coach, which I still am, uh, I was doing a lot of prepping actors and then they'd go off and have a dialect coach on set mm. who would be there listening in for every take and giving little tiny notes and keeping them in line. But, uh, you know, I'd be back in LA being like, and that, you know, the, 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 uh, the salary for being on set is also so different than doing the prep that for a while I couldn't really make ends meet just doing that. So I still was hustling and trying to do other things. And I think I met you when I was getting into hosting and all of these things that actually ended yes. up being relevant to what I'm doing now because now I'm coaching hosts, you know, like, isn't it funny? So I, I talk about my like very brief stint wanting to pursue TV show hosting. It's the reason I moved to LA. That's where Smar and I actually met. We met in a hosting class and then I don't even think we really spoke in that class, but it was years later, like literally three years later, we're in an elevator at a tech event that in the company no longer. Yes. And right. Yes. yes. And we were in an elevator at some like Hollywood tech event. And I was like, I know you, but I don't know how I know you. And she did the same. And we were like, we, we somehow in the elevator ride, like figured it out that it was, you know, this hosting class for so many years before, neither of us were doing that at all. But that's another good well, life. I mean, we, we said, we, I think we both, I should speak for myself and not you, but like we both went through years of like, okay, we're, we're pretty good at this other thing. What does this do? Right. for us. How does this turn us on? And, and to bring back to the passion question, not that I, you know, want to say that you should pursue passion because I, I agree with you that it's complicated, but but if we're figuring out like passion, what your passion is doesn't actually mean a job description. It means the feeling. Mm -hmm. It means the way you make someone feel or the way you bring a few different thoughts. Both had our ways where we were kind of testing out, okay, this, this fulfills some aspect of my passion. Yeah. And also I, made us I, like able to do what we're doing now. Exactly. I liken it to knocking on the wrong door to the right room. Like there are multiple <laughs> times, <laughs> you know, where you're like, I can hear the music. I can smell the food. I can hear the conversation. Yes! This door is not opening. And it's like, well, just keep trying different ways in, right? Eventually you'll find the door that, that opens and you're like, ah, oh, this was the way in. And for me, you know, I did a hosting class, immediately realized I did not want to do entertainment news. I had no desire to live that life. However, here I am now, let's see, it's been almost, yeah, it's been almost six years since that hosting class and I'm doing, you know, podcasting and it's kind of the same situation. You know, I'm filming it. Yep, and, yep. it and, and I'm coaching yeah. other people to do, to be hosts. And I'm like, honestly, remembering things from that class totally. that I've like, that I've grabbed. And I'm like, you know, the, look, the fundamental thing that has made me, first of all, a better actor when I'm coaching my clients, because I play opposite them for all their, for all their roles when we're working and on you stuff. You get to act. All, every, oh, like, every, day, really like, cool. every day. But it's made me a better actor, but it's also made me uh, better at teaching hosts how to do this and how to teach anybody who's giving presentations. You know, you make it about the other person. Yeah. And that was a huge lesson from that whole hosting world. I might have come to that some other way, but that was so that was that was such an important lesson from that from that class. There was something about like looking into a black lens, which is what hosting often is, uh, or or journalism. I mean, you know, or or on camp journalism. And uh and trying to connect through a completely dead looking space. Yeah, right. 
into the lives of other people. And the only way to do that is to really actively train your brain to think about that other person, even though you physically can't see them. And that's like, I mean, I think that's half of being a compelling speaker in any context, including job interviews. I could not agree more. I mean, for me, like watching myself on camera after those, you know, we made like a little demo reel kind of thing. I was like, I looked dead in the eyes and I was like, what is happening there? And it wasn't until I saw that and I connected the dots of, oh, because you're staring at a dot, not like you're staring at a person, you can see the difference in your eyes and in your face. And now I'm forced to be on camera for all of this stuff and I'm still not 100% comfortable with it. But when I look into a camera or into my phone or whatever I'm using to record, I'm picturing a friend of mine. I'm picturing like, Okay, you know, I always picture my friend Jackie. I'm like, is Jackie gonna, what what will Jackie think about? That's like invaluable, right? It seems silly, but it's like, to me, that's so much more valuable than thinking about an audience that's naked, like, ha ha ha, the old, you know, troll. No, you think about your friend because a few things happen. One, obviously, your eyes aren't dead when you're talking to a friend, so that like helps. Second of all, you're thinking, what can I do for her? How am I providing a service? And then it's less about you, and you start, you don't, you just like all of the self consciousness. Not all of, right? We all still can like grapple with like a large amount, a really a large amount of our self-consciousness goes away when we're not thinking, how do I look? But what am I doing for them? What am I doing for them? What service am I providing? How am I doing? And if you don't think you're providing any service, then that actually is a good moment to take stock. Yeah, that is another way of saying like, what does the world need? You know, a hundred percent. Yeah, no, it's, it's funny. I, I always come back to the saying nothing's for nothing as it relates to your career, because even yes, that hosting class, I'd never went on a single hosting audition because I immediately realized, Oh, nope, wrong direction. Not for me, but that was super valuable. And also even what we're just talking about this one tiny little tweak that you can make can like flow through to so many other areas of your life. And also here we are, you know, six years later, like communicating, you're on my podcast, you're in Hawaii doing like dialect coaching. Neither of us could have ever predicted that this is where we'd be. And so that's, that's so many good lessons rolled up into one little thing, like find people that, you know, you vibe with and that you're like, Hey, I don't know what this will become, but it doesn't really matter. You know, let's just stay in touch. Cause I like the kind of human that you are. And then you find ways to like bump into each other through the years. And you know, so and also keep track of, I mean, you know, oh, yeah. in, in, our, in, in our closest circles, we don't necessarily have to have people that, that make us feel aspirational. Like we can, that's amazing, but we can also just in our closest circles have people who are dear to us or maybe whose lives are like so off the tracks. Fine. But, but to have in our larger circle, people who are aspirational, who make us like light up with like possibility. I think that's extremely valuable. And especially if we're talking about our our peer level, you know, and not just mentor level up higher. Yeah. I'm telling you, looking around you is the best way to find people that can be on your team forever. And who, who, you never know, like who can open a door for you years later into something that to both of this, you know, what we're doing right now, like neither of us could have predicted this, who knows? And who the hell knows what we do, what we'll be doing in five to 10 years. I mean, God, I mean, we could be on Mars at that point. Who even knows? <laughs> or the world could be done. Or we'll just all be done. <laughs> oh, God. On a positive note, uh, this yeah. whole planet no. could just distract any minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Da, 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 da. Have a great podcast. That's it for today, guys. Have a- <laughs> <laughs> uh, what was I going to say? One other thing about that. Oh, that, you know, the other thing, I'm going to get technical for a second too, but I, this is sort of a value add for anybody who's listening and wants some voice 
training because I've been thinking a little bit lately about how to talk more broadly about uh, sort of universally what people could help how they how I could help vocally rather than like each individual who's who's sitting in front of me and something that comes up also when you start thinking about the other person besides what we've just discussed is that a lot of our vocal issues that we might be worried about like for women certainly up speak and vocal fry these things we might have heard about or we might have even been told that we do uh when we're in storytelling mode on our voice talking to our friends most of that stuff goes away as does the pitch issue so mm -hmm. the more that we can think about talking to if we're you know let's say talking to 100 people or in some context that's uncomfortable the more we can practice ahead of time maybe even talking to this friend and then you can envision that friend when you're when you're doing or you know in some context some way using your imagination as strongly as you can to envision this these, these people who make you feel like your best self when you're in those uncomfortable contexts, the more vocally, like on a technical level, you were freed up to use your storytelling style and that is what will compel a crowd. Yeah, I mean, if you sound, I so this is probably a bad thing and um, I go back and forth on whether I should do coaching on it, but whenever I speak to a crowd, I never rehearse. And it's because the times when I have rehearsed and practiced my talk, I sound like a robot and it completely loses its authenticity. And, you know, I have bullet points in my head and I always have some sort of visual prompt. I'm not going from memory with any talk I ever give, but my stories change every time, which I think is important for the room. I try and feel out who the crowd is. I see which jokes they laugh at from the beginning. And then I'm like, okay, same page. Got it. I'm right. Going right, right. Angle. You know, it's, it's hard. This to, is why there's a lot to be said for like being polished also. So finding a, a line between polished and robotic is is a challenge when talking to a crowd. I mean, I think I think you said it though. Bullet points. I mean, it's the same thing as like having a one sentence intro for yourself in a in social yeah. context. I mean, planning that ahead of time, knowing who your audience is. Mm -hmm. That's in a way that's really what you're talking about. And doing the research on knowing who your audience is and being able to say what version of me is going to be the best service yeah. to that audience. And then having, you know, the bullet points of like, these are the things, but yeah, to, when you try to memorize or over plan is when I think the perfectionist in all of us comes out to play and she's not awesome. She's the worst. <laughs> I hate her. And she comes from, she comes from a place of fear, right? Because the fear yeah. is that we aren't going to in the moment be able to read the room. Yeah. But the reality is that the most of us can, or the more we do it, the better we'll get. And also like, I mean, I, like take an improv class. Like I'm not so not gonna be the first person to say that, and it's probably. But it's true. I had an say. improv expert on the show. But you know what? Yeah. Oh, good. You it's know important. why improv is so great? Like it's great for a bunch of reasons, but one of them is that uh, being able to pick up cues mm -hmm. in a room, even if it's just you and an interviewer, or if it's a larger context like we're talking, being able to pick up cues. We almost all have these skills from like when we're little kids. Like mm -hmm. people oh, yeah. know how Playing to pick pretend up. Pretend is improv. <laughs> Totally, but also just literally being able to pick up cues, like being able to go, you know, there are certainly, there's certainly like, we can talk about like autism and Asperger's and how that like affects trying to do all of this stuff. But, but outside of that realm, like we all really do have little feelers going on at all times. We know when the energy changes in a room unless our fear or our perfectionism is clouding our vision, right? Because well, you, like, you go inside. When you try to muscle through. Right. So yeah, no, I totally agree. When you muscle through, when you go inside of yourself and you forget to pay attention to the people in the room with you, it just stops being a two-way street and starts just being more of a push. And 
humans can tell that. Like when I always tell people when they go into a networking event, have a plan, right? Like you said, have your one sentence intro, but then let it flow. Just recognize that like, we're all just people. You're just talking to a human and in an interview too, like people get very wrapped up in, in their own heads for interviews, but like that person is just a person also. So just treat them like a person, find something to chat about, like find a commonality. That's all we all want to do is connect with somebody. So if you can be cognizant enough of those social cues and be able to bounce back and forth with that conversation, they're going to like you so much more. And also like, this is not just like a theoretical thing. You can literally do this in the moment. You can take a breath. You can literally take a breath. Oh yeah. You know, it's okay oh to God, pause. I'm getting in my head. Yeah. It's okay to pause. Beautiful. And just, and just literally say, think to yourself, what service am I here to provide for that person? Yeah. How can I ask them? How can I ask them about themselves? Because something they seem to want to talk about this topic. I want to hear about it and they want to talk about it. Brilliant. Let's just do that. I mean, letting people, letting people talk about themselves is the best way to ingratiate yourself to a new person uh, by far. People love it. I don't know what the odds are of like having an interview with someone and saying like, tell me how you got started and then saying, nah, it was pretty easy. No. And then you have this awkward moment. Like the odds are not going to happen. It's pretty low. Yeah. And especially like with informational interviews and coffee dates and things like that. Yeah. If you can show like, listen, I want to learn from you. I want to know your story. And of course, in a job interview, you're not going to walk in being like, you know, I know where to talk about me, but let's talk about you. But like, you can do that in a way that's like, what do you, how do you love, like, what's your favorite part of this company? What's your favorite? Or like, I read about this aspect of your business. How did that come about? I mean, like part of asking questions is is asking real questions. No one really wants a right. terrible Not fake question. Questions. But if you can be honest with yourself about what you really do want to know, that really helps. Totally. Yeah. I mean, be curious, be authentic about it. Don't like have your five questions that you're going to ask that like you ask everybody, but just have it be a conversation. Be a person. Just be a damn person. You just be a person. I also, you know, I still get a little tiny bit of nerves when I'm starting out with a new client, especially obviously if they're like a well-known person. I mean, but even just an yeah. unknown, an unknown in a way is more nervous, more nerve-wracking because I, they're an unknown quantity. They maybe found me through my website. They want to do an hour. The stakes are really high for them because maybe like they're their livelihood is on the line. I mean, it is for a lot of people, especially if English is not their first language and they've been getting feedback that their, you know, Spanish accent is too strong or whatever. Then this session with me is like, is this the solution? And I can feel that when they come in. And so how we start that conversation is matters a huge amount to change the energy in the space. And I just ask, you know, how, how long have you been here? What, how's it been going? What's the feedback you've been getting? What's going on with you? You know, person. Instead of like, let me show you how I can help you. I'm going to solve you actually, all your problems. You need to get to the point where, you, where, where, yeah, where you're a person. Yeah. A person. Well, <laughs> I couldn't imagine a better job for you. I'm excited to see all of the amazing projects you work on. Do you get, do you get to be in the credits and the end of the movies? Yeah. So I mean, cool. the funny part is yes, but usually because Dialect Coach is such a like relatively new concept, no one knows where to put me and so I end up next to um like accounting (laughs) same thing (laughs) it's like all the actors and then all the crew and then like the random stuff at the end sometimes I'm right next to studio teacher that means the person who comes in a few hours a day and helps the the kids who are under 16 sure sure sure, why not hey but you're there and that's pretty damn cool (laughs) thanks man I'm excited for you 
Well, Samara, thank you so much for being here and just keep on kicking ass. It's, it's been really cool to see your journey, even just in the you know six years or so that I've known you to watch you go from us having coffee, you know, at general assembly one day, you being like, I just don't know. I just don't know what's next. Like, do you know of anything? And I'm like, God, this is blind leading the blind. I don't know what the hell. (laughs) (laughs) So no to like both of us kind of going off on these other trajectories and finding a place of our own and, and feeling really good for the moment. And I fully acknowledge that there will obviously be more moments of what the hell am I doing? I thought I had it figured out. Turns out, oh, you got to keep figuring it out. So I'm excited to keep figuring it out alongside. Also, I know that we're wrapping up, but I just want to throw this out there for any of your listeners. Uh, Most of you might not be there yet, but I have a almost three-year-old and having mom entrepreneur friends is really valuable. And if you want to be in touch with me about that kind of stuff, Mm -hmm. please find me at my website. Let's talk, you know. Oh, we're going to link to all your things in the show notes because there's so much more that Samara does besides dialect coaching. Like that is a shred of your entire life. And so, yeah, there's a lot of really cool things she does. So definitely go check her out, stalk the hell out of her, (laughs) you know. Keep keep being my friend. That's all I ask you. Um, cool. okay. <laughs> Good talk. Aww. Bye, everybody. Thank you. Thank Bye, you everybody. so much, everyone. Bye, guys.